0: Baker Mayfield undraftable off my board The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield What a beautiful
1: throw by the Baker Victor Hasta la vista baby! Out! Welcome to the OBR film breakdown on your Victory Monday. We have a great guest lined up who we're going to talk to about all things Cleveland Browns after their 13-10 win over the Detroit Lions. First win by the Browns over the Lions since 2001 is is a part of a a full day of crazy uh, little stats and metrics and performances. We're going to get into all of it with our guest in just a bit. But before we do so, our good friends over at TickPick, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, they do a great job. They actually sponsor... A ticket giveaway is a ton of fun things. They do a great job. You should use them. If you're going to any of the Browns games coming up, including the Ravens, go to that website, TickPick.com, T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K.com, slash breakdown. Can't go there and use a promo code. Have to actually use the backslash breakdown. Go there on your website. If you go to another website, StubHub, whatever the others are that you use, you find a cheaper ticket out there. They'll actually match the difference up to 110%. They pride themselves on being the best deal available. No fees like the others hidden until the end. The the price you see is a price you get at the very end. I have used them personally. Fantastic, easy to use, comprehensive with stuff around the stadium, restaurants, Uber, all that stuff is there. Fantastic website, TickPick.com slash breakdown. $10 off your first use. Go there and use them today. Now we dive into the Cleveland Browns and we talk about uh, some of the things surrounding this 13-10 win. It is supposed to be a feel good story, right? It's uh it's a win. You you don't get very many of these victory mondays uh, in a season in a, in a year. We've we've dealt with worse. So I'm going to try to spin this positively to start. That's the goal. I'm uh, going to talk stats before we bring in our guest. Um, looking at the basic stuff here, man. What they did on the day. Uh, Kind of Going through, Nick Chubb was 22 carries, 130 yards. Welcome back. Great performance from him coming off COVID. Tested positive, had symptoms, so he dealt with what came with that. Dearness Johnson, 5 carries, 26 yards. Baker Mayfield, 15 of 29, 176. A touchdown, 2 interceptions. We will talk about Baker, believe it or not. Austin Hooper had 7 targets. Um, He had 4 catches, 53 yards. Jamarcus Bradley had 2 catches for 46. Jarvis Landry had 4 catches on 8 targets for 26 yards. And then David Njoku, 2-for-20, 1-for-17 for Higgins, 2-for-14 in that touchdown for Nick. Anthony Walker led the Browns with eight tackles. John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison both had six. J.O.K. had four. That's kind of it there. On the Detroit side, 136 yards on 14 carries for DeAndre Swift. Pretty criminal that he only got 14 carries in this game because he is wildly talented. He had a touchdown. Tim Boyle, 15 of 23, 77 yards, two interceptions, is as bad as advertised there's no hidden thing here, guys, with with, uh, with Boyle. He is the st- the college stats, tell a story, and I don't really understand how he starts an NFL game. Uh, TJ Hawkinson had six catches, 51 yards. Amon Ross St. Brown, four for 18. And then uh, somebody with the last name Wright, I don't even know his first name, had one catch for 12 yards. Uh, On the defensive side of the ball, I'm not going to waste your time. Let's talk about general stats. The Lions went for 245 yards. The Browns went for 349. Both teams pretty miserable on third downs, 3 for 11 for Detroit, 5 for 13 for Cleveland. Cleveland did go 22 first downs in the game to 12 for Detroit. Browns ran 20 more plays. Both teams averaged 5.3 yards, 184 uh, net rushing yards for Cleveland to 168 for Detroit, 77 net passing yards for Detroit to 165 for Cleveland. 10 Cleveland Browns penalties for 82 yards, 7 for 67 for Detroit. And trust me, LaVar Arrington, not a fan of penalties. Again, another topic we have to hit on. We might as well do that right now. And the Browns had 10 minutes of possession. Welcoming in Jordan Zerm to check down. Does great work. You all know him. He's been on this pod many times. Jordan, what's up, man? How are you?
0: Jake, I'm good, man. Um, just really... Thinking about Lavar, I've been thinking about Lavar Arrington all day. So I'm glad that we're gonna we're gonna start there. But uh, no, man, to. I'm good. It was uh, I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. This was one of the first times I turned on a Browns game, saw the weather, and, and looked out my window to. It was 80 degrees in Los Angeles today, mm. and was like, man, that is a that is a difference that I can almost feel through the television. Like it had, you know, they had the raindrops on the camera today for yeah. a lot of the game. You could just kind of feel it. So. Um, tough conditions, man. But that was, uh, you know, it's, it's getting to late November in Cleveland stuff starting to come out. So it was a perfect, uh, it really was like the weather was just like, Oh, it's Cleveland, Detroit. This is what we're going to do.
1: It was miserable all over state miserable here. And I don't care, man, how many years of my life I live. I'll be 60. Hopefully I live to 60 or beyond. I will never get used to daylight savings time. It is, uh, it's nope. so depressing. It's so dark, so fast. And I hate it. I hate it so much, but we got We got to start to reel back into what happened today. We got to talk about Lavar Arrington. I kind of put out a tweet at the end of the game because I couldn't stop when I heard him say a Tim Boyle pass was heir apparent instead of <laughs> errant. I thought, oh boy, we are uh, we're in dangerous territory here. There were some early issues, some James Brown instead of Jim Brown. Uh, I'm sure you have some that stuck out to you, but my question is, Jordan, do okay? You know, I, I told you off the off the air before we started. I'm, a, I'm big into Kirby enthusiasm right now. My interest was piqued when I saw that LeVar Arrington's calling this game as a color, you know, the color commentary. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting name. Did not expect to ever hear about him calling a game, but let's see what he's got. It started rough. It was rough throughout. He wanted Tim Boyle to make a play happen on a screenplay. Interesting. I didn't even <laughs> recognize it. I said, Do you screen? I get it? He's kind of maybe stepping in for a keep to leave here and and doing a game in their screen. Do you screen, do you give him an opportunity to mock a game? like what what do you 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 just or do you just, say, hey, Lavar, man I know you got a ton of NFL experience? Do you think you could call I, I'm so curious to the procedure here because I was embarrassed for Fox, and LeVar's a great NFL player, and I'm sure he's a great dude, but sometimes the job's not for you, man. like you, you know what I'm saying? like it's just not for you, and yeah. I, find a role for this guy, not that.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if they screened him because if they did, there's just they either screened him and were like we literally have nobody else and we have to this is the guy that can do this game like send him to Cleveland and pair him with Gus or they didn't even have the chance to screen him because I mean aside from the stuff that you mentioned the heir apparent the the <laughs> yeah him like getting he was like my problem with Tim Boyle is that he's just he's doing the only thing he's looking at on the play. And it was about like that screen pass. So mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, man, he's, you know, but the other thing he did, cause I was, I went back and I rewatched some of the game before coming of this podcast. And the other thing I noticed he did, it was like a similar thing where like, I think it might've been Deandre Swift. No, I'm sorry. Nick Chubb comes out in the flat. I think this was like in the third quarter, the Browns were backed up way up against their goal line. And I think Baker may have thrown an incomplete pass or, um, threw the ball away, and he's like, oh, "Oh man, he Nick Chubb comes wide open out in the flat. He would have been gone." And they're showing the replay as he's saying it, and there's just like a cornerback a just like sitting and wa- and waiting for Nick Chubb, like right there. Like Nick Chubb was not that open at all, and he had like said it as if like Nick Chubb was would have scored a ninety yard touchdown had he caught the ball. It was just like very just. It was tough. Uh, it was really tough. The first couple of minutes, that's when I was like, I don't even know who's doing color commentary, but it sounds like they literally, you know, no, not to be too mean about it, because yes, that, this obviously was his, not only his first game ever doing this, but like didn't seem prepared in any way, shape or form. Um, but he just like, it sounded like they had plucked a fan and like put him in the booth and were just like, okay, Gus is going to set you up and say some stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. And nope. that's yeah. like
0: That's like what it was, man. It was tough.
1: It started with the Batonio pronunciations. It got really ugly. (laughs) It got real ugly real quick. quick. And, you know, we spent some time on this, but I feel like we need some comedic relief, guys, because we're all a little frustrated with that game. And I don't know, maybe they view you Gus in this current state of affairs like, hey, this is 97 Jordan. I don't care who you throw with him. It's going to work. Yep. But I felt like Gus was rolling the eyes, man. I, I feel like Gus was oh, texting his friends like is this as bad as it sounds to me up here? Because
0: And I thought I think uh, you know, and Gus Gus almost played down a little bit to his competition. That that thing mm-hmm. when they thought Greedy Williams was Denzel Ward early in the game when both of them, like Gus was like, and a great pass breakup by Denzel Ward, and then Lavar's like, Oh, okay, I'll hop on that. He's like, Oh yeah, great play by Denzel and then as he finishes, Gus is like, Ah, nope, sorry, that's greedy. And it's like, man. it wasn't his number, you know, like 26 was very apparent on his shoulder. Like it, it didn't take a lot to realize that like Denzel Ward is on the opposite side and that's not him, but they both went for it. And yeah, so Gus got dragged down a little bit today too. Gus is the goat. Like I, there are some people who were in my mentions that were like, Gus Johnson is the most annoying. And like, I'm not, I'm not on that train. I love Gus Johnson. I think he's great. I want him to be as obnoxious as possible at all times. I think it's awesome. I'd rather have that than a commentator that like doesn't get excited enough, but man, yeah, there there was only so much he could do to sort of keep LeVar Arrington afloat. And that that boat was uh leaking water from the Batanio. Batanio? It was bad, <laughs> oh, man, It was it, was it was LeBron
1: it was 7 Cavs. He couldn't do anything, man. It got <laughs> He did his best. Yeah. Um yeah, let's, let's let's try to talk about the game now. Um positives from this one. They won. That you know, they won. They
0: did win. I think that's been confirmed.
1: It's been confirmed, and Nick Chubb had a nice game back. And you know, I think everybody wanted him to get about seventy-five carries in this game. But I don't know if everyone knows this. He uh, <laughs> he's coming back from the COVID situation. There is potentially a little bit of a breathing issue. There's also, you know, we don't we don't want to run this guy down too much. So. I thought he played well. I thought there were flat. I thought the offensive line protected very well. Um, yep. There were some holding calls, which were really weird snatch trap holding calls, where you get up under the breastplate of a of a defensive lineman and you rip him down. Thought that was weird because that's just a general technique used across the league. So that was a little flummoxing, but nonetheless, I thought they protected well. I thought they blocked in the run game pretty dang well, and that's. Probably it for the offense. Defensively, Denzel, heck of a play. Um and uh I thought Anthony Walker seemed to be all over the I'm gonna be be completely frank. I did not pay a ton of attention to the defense. I Tim Boyle, I watched a couple drives and I'm like, hmm, this guy's pretty terrible. He'd be a he'd be a platinum member of the Browns jersey wearing
0: oh, um, man. mannequin he is, if he was he a Cleveland is the starter. Perfect. He is the perfect like how has this guy not started a game for the Browns candidate mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like he he's somehow has avoided great I I will say about Tim Boyle great hair great hair uh, he took his helmet off a couple of times and I said look man you you may not have the juice on the field but you got the hair and you can only have so many things in life and at least he's got that you know
1: yeah, and his, his cartoon Fox cartoon was pretty favorable too oh, really yeah. nice work on his it's arms and stuff um, he's terrible. Though I cannot believe you know when you go look at his college stats and he had one touchdown and thirteen interceptions in his time at UConn. Goes to Eastern Kentucky. I think throws eleven touchdowns, thirteen interceptions in that one year. You wonder how this guy has found life in the NFL. It's quite amazing. Um, let me throw this to you. It, 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 did you get the vibe? Whether it was the decision to start Boyle, whether it was the decision to kick a field goal late in the game. Uh, Was it the decision to not go for it on some fourth downs? Did the lions really not care? I mean, like I think we're too far along in the age of data decision-making. And I think Dan Campbell has somebody he has to talk to. There's just no way as a franchise, you can feel comfortable hiring somebody without knowing the procedure of talking to people about, Hey man, the data tells us to go for it here, or Hey, we should go for this instead of kicking the field goal. I got heavy, and I mean heavy. Yeah, well, if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose feels from the Lions today. Did you get those vibes too that they were kind of not all in on winning this game? From a decision making, not the players, but from decisions that you could kind of maybe get funneled down.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I don't understand what they were doing late in the game, especially kicking that field goal. It's just like when you're when you're 0 and 8 and 1 <laughs> or 0 and 7 and 1, I forget which one they actually are. But it's yeah like you you usually have nothing to lose you know like if I was Dan Campbell I'd be out there and they did this um against the Rams in Los Angeles a couple couple weeks ago where they pulled out like all the stops they were running fake punts and onside kicks like they were they were going for it in that game that was only a couple weeks ago so I'm not really sure like what's happened from now until then maybe Dan Campbell is just so beaten down by like tying with the Steelers and like Coming so close to winning and his and his kicker misses a field goal and they have to go to overtime and they tie. Like maybe he's just like I I I don't care because like you said like it does very much feel like that. I I I know that Dan Campbell has gotten a lot of like you know kind of gone viral for his very like kind of rah rah like big football guy stuff, but he has had some very like endearing moments and stuff like yeah. he's really like stuck up for players or like he's crying in his press conference when they come so close to winning. So I don't feel like he's quite the the quote-unquote football guy that makes me like roll my eyes in the way that some some coaches have been previously so i do think like he seems like a guy who's who's got to be open like you said especially in 2021 to like having somebody be like hey like you should go for it here on fourth you know like a field goal is not going to do anything we're we haven't won a game like let's try to win but yeah man it did either they just were like look our quarterback can't do anything even though deandre swift had a pretty solid game on the ground they just they either they had no faith whatsoever and they were just doing the take the points thing or they really were just like look the weather's gross like we we're starting our third string quarterback I don't care let's get out of here but yeah man I mean the energy level of the of the game was pretty low (laughs) and 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 a lot of that came from the Lions side where it just felt like you know that felt like a late season browns game from you know the past when they're just totally out of it Mm -hmm. and there's nothing really to play for so
1: it was weird it just just some weird decisions where i would think a team that had nothing to lose would have been way more aggressive to that degree where there's like i think if you're sitting down as a franchise and you're saying hey we really want to get the first pick we clearly know where this is going even with a healthy jared goff we've we've painted a picture here what ways can yep. we not be all in on winning without telling our players we're not all in on winning kind of thing and there were those decisions in this game so and even the decision to start Boyle, I, I, what? Oh man, yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, he's not giving you. Yeah, he's not giving you. Like you said, like you're not getting anything from him. There's nothing he does well. So it's yeah. like, all right. It's
1: uh, that's just something I wanted to ask because I I didn't know if I was the only one leaning that way. So we yeah, talked. It def- certainly felt that way. It, well, let's talk defense because I thought the Browns played pretty well for the most part. Like I said, Denzel had a, a really nice play there uh, to pick that ball off, and you know, there there were actually people saying that he was. You know, Denzel's bad. It's like, okay. I mean, you know, I think that there's a a legitimate argument that Denzel's not elite, but he's really good. You know, he's not in the elite tier, but him being really good is not something you can really argue about. But John Johnson's mystifying to me because in the game, there was really one big play that happened on defense, and it's that run where he's coming up in, in edge support and is just sort of mystifyingly shook. And I get it that he's supposed to turn him back inside, but, you know, you're not a sixth-round safety starting a game randomly here. You're supposed to be a star on this defense and plays that I have seen you make in L.A. in Film Breakdown, where I was, listen, man, I am as, as <laughs> I was as happy about a signing with, with John Johnson as I've ever been, and I loved his film, loved everything about what it seemed like he was going to bring here in general. And I haven't seen it. I made a point earlier in the week about – um, not the week, but in the earlier in the season, four or five weeks ago, where, hey, this guy's playing out of position. He's been a 50-50 box deep safety. They're playing pretty much like 90% of him in deep scenarios, and that's out of position. I'm justifying it. I'm hoping that it's not just whatever this is putting on the field is not – uh, going to be a trend, but I can't, you know, like the last two weeks, what he struggled with have been embarrassing plays near the line of scrimmage. And if he's not making the plays near the line of scrimmage coupled with being not as effective in the deeper portions of the field, I'm left to be like, this guy is uh, trending toward one of the bigger issue free agent signings that the Browns have had. And that's really hard for me to swallow because I just, I did not expect it.
0: Yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody did. I mean, he was sort of even nationally. I remember when the Browns sort of were linked to him um, before they actually signed him. I mean, I I remember reading a lot about just national people that loved him. I remember like Mina Kimes was a was a huge fan of him. And she, you know, is a very smart (laughs) football person. And there were other smart football people that loved signing for the Browns. And um, yeah, I think it's been like the thing we were talking about before we came on, too, is just like, the effort level man like you can just see when a guy is is not not about to give it his all and john johnson on that play today like you said you gotta turn him inside but he he sort of seemed it was like well like he's he's by me and i'm just like the way he sort of flipped his hips and tried to turn was just like so slow and so nonchalant and like you can just see in the the sort of body language like now grant delpit took a bad angle too but like at least it looked like grant Delpit was trying he just went the a terrible way um with john johnson it just felt like he sort of had already decided that like he wasn't making this play and like you said like it's shown up kind of multiple times especially lately and yeah like especially in that game against the patriots it's just kind of like yeah he was supposed to be really this guy that um you know, they, this idea of playing these three safeties and, and sort of rotating guys out and flying around that defensive backfield. And like, he just hasn't, you know, outside of being in the right place for that pick that Denzel tipped against the Bengals, like in, uh, you know, a couple picks on the back end when a, when a ball gets overthrown, like they're just, he just hasn't really done any, anything to make that's that stood out, like stood out on his LA tape. And it's very, yeah, it's disheartening, man, because yeah, not only has he had to play out of position a little bit, um, but then once you bring him down into the position that he that he thrived at as a box safety, it's like, I don't know what's going on. And it's it's one of those things where, especially after last week, it, it, you you just wonder what it's a product of. Is it a is it a product of, like you said, like a guy that maybe got a big contract and is sort of like, OK, not saying he's taking plays off or anything like that, but it's just like secured the bag and it's kind of like, all right. Uh, is it a product of a bigger thing that's going on in the locker room, where it looks like multiple defensive guys during certain games have just kind of like thrown their arms up, you know, as they're kind of getting bullied at the line of scrimmage or whatever? It's just very, um, it's it's just not good, whatever it is, and and it's unfortunate that it happened on such a big run because everybody can see it, man. That's right there, you know, <laughs> like, and so it it has been um, incredibly disappointing of a signing that I think kind of universally people thought was going to be a huge deal for the Browns sort of secondary this year.
1: Yeah. If you look back at the Patriots game, he had that, you know, he comes up to fill a gap against, I think it was Brandon Bolden. And Brandon Bolden just puts like a one, two inside out plan on him and just beats him down the left sideline. He gets beat uh, with a poor angle on that tight window throw from Mac Jones to a touchdown. I I think it went to Bourne, I think. And then he gets yep. embarrassed by Hunter Henry, like Hunter Henry on a goal <laughs> line pass where he's just like double stuttered. I, what the thing that I'm most concerned about, and I don't know if John is dinged up more. I I know he dealt with the neck, but like the game looks like he it's faster than he is right now. Where it's like he's almost surprised by how fast the game is. That part of it is extremely concerning to me because if if you look slow. And it's like so weird. It happened in a, in a year's time and I don't know if it's an effort thing. I would hope man, he has he seems like the type of dude who would have more pride than to let it be an effort thing, but I I don't know. I I don't know. I just have noticed it feels like he's the game speed is creeping up on him and that is
0: Yes. Um I think that's a really good way to put it.
1: It's 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 concerning to me because they're locked into him for another year and they've already paid him well. So I I would love to see it improve, but the way like I had a lot of held out hope because, um, you know because he wasn't doing what I thought he was best at doing. But when your most recent two weeks of errors are on situations that I think you should be okay, that's a little bit more of what his sweet spot is as a football player. Is it's like oh, what do I have to cling to? So John's concerning. I don't know if I'm people have been raising a little bit of a Twitter ruckus about. Uh, no sacks in this game. I I don't I don't know that I'm all too concerned about no sacks in this game. Maybe I should be a little bit more, but I felt like I didn't notice many instances where where he was holding on to the football all too long. Like they were really trying to protect uh, Boyle getting the football out pretty quickly, and they pressured him a couple times. But like I don't think this is a game where I think the Browns had any concern if Boyle actually did throw it that he was going to hurt them all too much. So it's noteworthy. To, you know keep an eye on it is is this going to be a trend but I didn't really leave the game concerned that they didn't get enough pressure on the quarterback you know what I mean
0: yeah I, I think I'm with you and like you said it was just such a strange game because you did sort of feel when the Lions offense trotted out in the field you kind of were just shrugging your shoulders like you know outside of that outside of the big DeAndre Swift run there was really never a time where you were like oh man um so it was harder to sort of hone in on and make some sort of evaluation, yeah, of, of this of this Browns sort of defense in this game. I, I do think it is, um, you know, something you've touched on, too, is, is how, I mean, how poor the, you know, that, that Swift run, if I'm not mistaken, came on a third down. Um, and this is what, I tweeted this a couple weeks ago about how bad the Browns defense has just been, I mean, in general on late downs, but specifically against the rush, they're like abysmal. Um, And it showed up again today, especially on that run where just, yeah, like for what either they're not prepared for the run or something you pointed out is some of their interior linemen are just getting bullied out of the way whatever it may be, but man, it's a, it's a problem that continues to show up even against a team like the lions where not only can't they get off the field on on certain third downs, so they did. You know, <laughs> against Tim Boyle, you're going to get off the field on third downs. But you know, just that run is is very reminiscent of sort of what's been plaguing them all season, where it just seems like a simple thing to to rally to the guy and get him down, and you know, he's making one cut and he's gone. And um, yeah, man, it's just um, so so the no sacks thing. Yeah, like I guess to your point, doesn't it doesn't super concern me either. I think. Um, we're going to get a very good barometer of where this defense is over the next two weeks uh, because they're going to play an opponent that is going to stretch them thin. But um, yeah, there are still things that showed up today, I think, defensively that are that are worrisome because they were facing such a downtrodden sort of offense. And, and that run really stands out because it was a late down run.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think, I was looking at the data, there's something like four of 12 on uh, third down and six or more yards conversions on runs, which is, you know, I think it's low 20s in the NFL, pretty terrible, you know, to give up four third and six first downs and pure run plays. I I didn't filter for quarterback runs, so that could get even worse if you just looked at teams who gave up running back based. You know what I mean? So it's... uh. It's a story. It's been the story. I say it every, every week. Now the third down conversion stuff on both sides of the ball last year, the Browns were fourth in the NFL in offense in third down conversions, right? They were up there. So here's the offenses that they were uh, that were in front of them. The only ones um, green Bay's third Buffalo, second Kansas city, first obviously pretty good offenses. The Browns converted 36.4% yep. of their first downs this year or thirtieth at nineteen percent of third and six or more conversions. So it's a I mean that's, ins-
0: that's an insane drop off. It is, and people will want to
1: know why. And maybe there's a study that can be done there in the se- you know, after the season because it's going to have to be comprehensive. But it probably ties into anytime it's third and six. You know, they've converted a couple of them. You know, my mind stands out that Minnesota game where they were at like third and thirteen before half, and Kareem ripped off like a twenty five yard run. They've had some, but not i am pretty sure it was something like twelve of sixty six or something like that when I was looking up that's that's how That's how bad they've been offensively in those situations. So let's switch over to the offense. It definitely seems like there has been a pretty big divide between the fan base of who who to blame about the past struggles. You know, Nick comes back this week, they run it well, not unexpected. They are clearly without question. A team that relies on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to get the job done. He fil- It filters everything. It's not even debatable. So, um, the passing game struggles have been a topic of conversation for a while now. I have two very important things I want to talk about with that. But, you know, and it's not just us saying that. It's not media-driven. Alex Van Pelt this week, the OC, said that the pass game's broken. They're trying to figure it out. So... What you have to do is is look at two people. There seems to be two people catching blame. Kevin Stefanski gets to blame for the bu- a bunch of different things. If you're if you're a guy who supports Baker Mayfield above all else, you blame Kevin for a lot of things. If you blame Baker for a lot of things, then you probably are giving Kevin the benefit of the doubt on a lot of things. So, whatever side you choose, I made my stance on this whole thing pretty clear in last week's Baker podcast that I did. It's it's becoming divisive, Jordan, and I don't think it's it's a comfortable situation. There's some stuff to talk about surrounding all of this. Personally, I thought the Browns had plenty of opportunities to throw for for for, for successful downfield yards to the tune of 250 to, to 300 yards in this game that were missed. Did I miscalculate that, or do you get the same vibe? Now listen, I know Jordan and I are harsh on Baker. I, maybe I need to bring on the biggest Baker supporter I can find. I don't know, but I, <laughs> I just don't know how you could watch this game and feel like Baker did not have a really rough go of it today in terms of guys being open and guys being missed.
0: Yeah, man, I think, you know, I think the first thing is, is like, this is not fun for us to have to be like, man, like Baker's not playing well. Like I, this is not enjoyable. I'm not having fun. I think some people like, you know, take criticism as, uh, you know we've been over this before but uh, you don't like Baker oh you're rooting for him to fail which like you <laughs> know definitely. that stuff is so so silly to me that you know the football team that I've watched be terrible for my entire life um, and then has you know has this quarterback come in and looks like he's the guy and now it's now it looks like it might be the opposite and I'm like somehow like basking in that like I think that that's very that's probably my least favorite thing about you know doing this on, on Twitter and the divide that it's sort of become but I, I sort of went back and I was just looking at some of his misses today and so many of them came from just a completely clean pocket. Like he had um, Austin Hooper kind of, you know, they run again, we've talked about this on previous podcasts where they sort of, they, they run to both sides of the field, but they are running it that levels concept where you've kind of got like low middle shallow and Baker can kind of pick where he wants to go. And he had Austin Hooper kind of wide open on one clean pocket, just throws it way too far out in front of him, It's incomplete. Um, you know, he misses, um, he missed Jarvis Landry. I mean, multiple times outside of the the interceptions. Um, you know, he just, he missed him on like a little comeback route where he just sort of drove the ball into the ground again, like what clean pocket, um, he even missed, you know, there were just, like, little things. Like, he missed Njoku on a little, like, they had Njoku sort of fake, like he was blocking inside and then sort of, like, spin around and pop open for, like, a little, I don't even know if you'd call it a screen, but it was basically just, like, a little valve that he was escaping. And and, and Baker, you know, Njoku blocks and then lets the guy go. So Baker's got to get it over this defensive line, But it's a throw he's made hundreds of times. And he just, like, launches it over Njoku's head out of his reach and, I mean, these misses are bad and and they're, that one was not from a clean pocket, but like a lot of these are just coming when he's really well protected, especially today where he's, you know, I, I get really sort of tired of the, um, the injury stuff because I think while it's admirable for him to, to play through what he's playing through. And I, I don't say that lightly. Like I, I wouldn't play through any of those injuries i would i'd get hit once and i'd be out like while i appreciate the sentiment and the the sort of pride that comes with that um some of these balls are just um i don't think they're injury related that he's missing they're they're reminiscent of, of passes he's missed throughout his whole career when he's missing high like he did on that interception to jarvis where he would have missed a seven foot tall guy with how high he threw that ball he's throwing balls into the ground when he looks like it's from a clean pocket and he, there's nothing wrong with the footwork and he's driving, and he's throwing into it. Like he's just missing throws, man. And without really any sort of explanation for it, like, you know, we've talked about it on this pod before, like, do I think the injuries are having some effect for sure? Um, but some of it is decision-making. Some of it is just, he's just missing. Like his accuracy is just not there. Um, and so it was, yeah, I mean, it was kind of hard to go back and flip through this because, he really did have a ton of opportunities without pressure in his face to just make some throws. And he, he just felt like he was missing, especially in the second half, he was just missing all over the place. And I think that's why you saw the Browns handed off like five, six consecutive times on a drive sort of late in the fourth, not the final drive where they got the couple first downs to seal it, but the drive before that, they just didn't even let Baker throw. And I think when we talk about, you mentioned like, well, whose fault is it? Um, I think some of that's pretty telling. Um, when Stefanski feels like he's got to run the ball six, seven times in a row um, late in the game when you're only up, you know, three points or, or whatever it was like, he just didn't have a good day, man. And it's becoming way too frequent. But I thought today, especially the clean pocket thing was what I really noticed and it. And it was tough to watch.
1: Yeah. I think we have to start asking ourselves the question is, is what happened in the last you know week seven to to seventeen and into the playoffs last year is that a blip in what has been a pretty bad run of games right like he was bad all twenty nineteen and he had some rough goes as rookie year, but you know for the most part was pretty good his rookie year he was bad in twenty nineteen he was terrible to start the season in twenty twenty had a great run to end the year in twenty twenty and then has been bad for the most part of this year. So what is the outlier there? To me, the outlier is the 2020 stretch of really good games. And I think you have to start asking, is that the framework? So this the, the, <laughs> he did miss a lot of throws today. And if you want to say, well, the weather was really bad and messy, that's, I don't know who needs to tell you guys this, but the weather's not going to change in Cleveland. Uh, over the next decade like if you no, can't do it no, then un- you, <laughs> unfortunately it's not you can't do it then you can't do it right like you can blame it or you can do it and be that guy right like I don't know I mean what what excuses do you want to make I mean I have a hard time keeping up on these things what I'm allowed to what people are uh, using as excuses and what they're not I you know, like I said it's it's uh it's the the weather's not going to change. So you either can figure that part out of it, or it's like, Oh, well, it's a bad weather game. And the quarterback can't play in a bad weather game. Oh, well then this might be the wrong place for that guy. Um, then you have to start saying the injuries. Now this is where the big, the big thing is for me. Okay. The injury stuff is, is the, the, the elephant in the room, right? Like he clearly doesn't want to miss games. And has made yep. a pretty vocal point of saying, if I'm too hurt to play, I know that I won't play. Okay, cool. You are also going out of your way to, to whoever's close to you to get it released that you tore the labrum. You know, you released it to Glazer or whoever. And uh, because that didn't come from the team, that came from sources. So it had to come from someone close to you. And then you're talking about, I'm as beat up as I've ever been, which I don't think that's a lie. I don't. I think he's pretty beat up, you know. But you continually say, you know, I I can't. The injuries are no excuse. Nobody cares. Uh, Also fine, right? Like, okay, then I won't evaluate it that way. But you're clearly beat up to the point that, like, he was playing so bad today that I thought to myself, I got to get him out of the football game. He's playing so bad and he's limping around. There's no reason to be in this football game or even to have started this game to begin with. But, I again, I can't think I'm the only guy who thinks that. There's a lot of people with the opinion that Stefanski's doing him a disservice. Well, it's pretty clear, guys, Stefanski doesn't make the decision on Baker alone. This is not a fourth-round draft pick who they've started and they're not in, they're invested in Baker Mayfield as much as they can be invested in him. Every decision around the offense has been driven by supplementing Baker Mayfield's skill set. They've been doing it for a while now if you haven't been paying attention. It is a huge huge decision. So if you think Kevin Stefanski makes that decision on his own, you're living in a fantasy world. That's not how it works. So the thing that is interesting to me is everybody wants them to make this decision for Baker, but if you pay attention to what Baker says, if I'm healthy, you know, this was when it first came out. I don't know if it was the Denver week or what, Jordan, but it was like, if I'm ready to play, I'm going to play. Like, I make Mm -hmm. the decision whether I can play. Stefanski after the game today says, as it likely is, it's an organizational decision, right? It's Baker's input is obviously there, but it's an organizational decision. To me, that reeks of... Hmm, it just again back to my uh, point earlier, my interest has peaked. Like, that is <laughs> that's an interesting thing to me. And yeah. the stuff around it, man, where it's like, okay, I'm pretty positive. I don't have any insider information on this, guys, but it appears that there's a pretty good lockstep between the, the data analyst that is Paul D. Podesta, Andrew Barry, and Kevin Stefanski. They seem to see things pretty similarly. Who is mandating that Baker plays no matter what if he says he can play? Because we all see it; it's plain as day here. He's not right, and the the not right element is clearly leading to physical mistakes and mental re, 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 regression. Is probably the right way to say it. So, like, the, I, okay, like I don't know how I'm framing this. They're not gonna like like gladiator him out there and say, "Hey, man." Sorry, you don't want to play this week, but yeah, you know, get out there, soldier, toughen up. Like, that's not it. It's Baker saying he wants to play, and then obviously he's someone's making the decision that if Baker Mayfield says he wants to play, that guy plays. He plays. There's no questioning it. You're not going to start him unless the doctors in the Denver week pretty much said, hey, man, you can't play. That's the only time we've seen it. Happen and to me, it's like who's making this decision because Kevin Stefanski, these guys are seeing it too. You watch Stefanski on the sidelines, there's a whole bunch of mouth stuff going on there in terms of what he's saying. You can oh, read,
0: man. It. <laughs> dude. It like, I just today.
1: help me understand, Jordan, who is making this call because the decision is strange to me. Everybody can see Baker's too beat up to play, and if they're all sitting in a room. It just seems weird to me that these guys aren't saying this would have been an ideal week. All you needed was just a professional case keenum game to win. an ideal week to sit him. let the some of the shoulder inflammation, the knee inflammation, the foot issue, let it all have a week. I just don't get it. To me, it says, this is I hope the listeners here are not upset by this, but it reeks of ownership to me where Baker is the guy they want to make it work. Do whatever you can to make it work for Baker Mayfield. I don't want to hear anything else. It just smells like if Baker says he's good to go and the doctors are greenlighting him, you're starting him and you're playing him and there's no questions asked. That's what it reeks up to me because you know that Kevin and and Andrew and Paul, who we all think are very, very smart guys, very perceptive dudes. They're just as smart as you putting your tweets out there. Like, if, if they, they, there's no way they're missing it, there has to be something more. here. Am I crazy or is there something more at play here because... It seems so weird that they would not give this guy time off. And it could be, the thing is too, Jordan, it could be framed so easily weeks ago as, hey man, we're shutting Baker down because of the shoulder. It could have been any medical excuse in the book. And it's clear there are medical excuses here, but there's something going on. I don't know. Again, is it Baker being like, I'm a dude, I'm tough. I'm going to man this up. I'm going to do it no matter what. I don't care if I'm a detriment to the team. I'm going to do what I have to do. And somebody's telling Kevin, who's like, hey man, I know you think Baker maybe is struggling, but we're starting him. If he's good to go, we're starting him. I'm just like I'm. I'm as confused and perplexed by this as anyone because Kevin Stefanski's catching the blame, and I just don't think it should be placed there. It it has to go beyond this man.
0: Yeah, well, I think if you just simply juxtapose it with what's going on in Arizona right now um, with Kyler Murray, yeah, they've now kept him out three weeks. Um, there was conversation this week about like Kyler. He was practicing and he and he he was really rehabbing and and it was sort of like a close to game time decision. And then they decided, you know what, like one more week, we're going to we're going to hold him out. Now, do they have a better record than the Browns? And are they not quite in uh, as tough of a and as tight of a playoff race as the Browns are in? Sure but like their backup is Colt McCoy. <laughs> like, and, you know, I, I would put Colt McCoy up there on the same level as a Case Keenum, you know, as a backup quarterback. Like this is not a guy that you, that Arizona is probably like, oh, we're going to like win easy. now they destroyed Seattle today, but that was, that's way more on Seattle than it is on, on Arizona and, and what Colt McCoy is able to do like as a quarterback at this point. But you see like Arizona taking their time with Kyler and making sure he's right. Now, again, injuries are different. Um, he, he didn't tear his labrum, but like they are taking the time and sort of just wait doggy paddling until Kyler comes back because they know how important he is. And, you know, the Browns, the difference between a healthy Baker Mayfield and a, and a case Keenum is, is large enough where it's like, it's important to get Baker to at least a place where he's as healthy as he can be. Um, and I thought today was weird because I, you mentioned the stuff, that the very weird press conference initially where Baker said very explicitly, I make the decision. And he tried to walk back those comments, but it was just a very weird thing where it was where it was like, I make the decision whether or not I can play. And then you sort of, you go to today with one, like, you know, Kevin, his comments after the game. But another thing that stood out to me was, you know, like Case Keenum got up and started warming up. after After Baker had that series where he was, really sort of wincing and limping on you know, he got hit late on a on a play that didn't get flagged for unnecessary roughness or rough in the passer that probably should have been. Um they they didn't throw a flag, but he got he got put on his ass pretty hard. Um and he was up and he looked terrible. He, was, he could barely walk. He was wincing while he walked and like Case Keenum is up and throwing and when they asked the fansky about it, he said something like, Oh, I didn't even notice him throwing which is like like, oh I didn't even notice Case Keenum warning up. Which which is like one is like they didn't even give thought to Case Keenum coming into that game, mm-hmm. which to me is crazy because at that point, not only was Baker playing terribly, he also was like very clearly to anybody who was watching that game in a lot of pain. And, you know, they're showing Case warming up and the coach is just like, ah, I didn't notice it. It's just a very, it is a very weird thing that's sort of going on here now. And and Jake, I guess my theory on this is, look, I would not put it past the Haslams to meddle in any of this. Like that is... You know, they were, they've they been quiet for a year because the, things were going well, but we all know how they sort of – how Jimmy acts when things are not going well. So I would not put it past them to be like play Baker by any means possible. But I also think what's playing into it is I, I think Baker – I have no insight on this, no sources or anything, but I, I imagine Baker behind the scenes is just like I am not – I don't want to miss a game for anything. Like he gives off that vibe. He very much has that attitude. I'm going to fight through it. i like, don't you dare tell me I'm not playing that type of thing. You know, he certainly has a voice in the organization at this point. um, That's probably pretty loud. But what sort of bothers me about that is, and especially today, and we can get into a little bit of the, what happened after the game with him, but like, he seems upset that maybe that he got booed today or that, Kevin Stefanski's he's not calling pass plays late in the game for him, whatever it may be. I don't know. Um, but to me, it's like Baker, man, you're first of all, fan bases are fan bases. You like, they're going to boo you when you don't play well. They're going to cheer you when you play well. Like this is not something new. This is not something unexpected. This shouldn't be like a shock to anybody and, and specifically Baker. And if you're frustrated, I get it. You're not playing well. The team's struggling. This was supposed to be a different kind of season, but like, are we using the injuries as an excuse or are we not? Are we using it as a crutch, or are we not? Like, it, it seems like he wants to have it both ways. And that's just not really, and, and you touched on this, and I thought it was a really good point. Like, you you leaked about the labrum, you're, you're bringing it up in the press conference, you're clearly injured, everybody can see it, but you're kind of using it more as like this thing of armor, rather than just being like, man, maybe I should really take some time and let my body heal before we get into November, December with division games that we have to win. And like, I just don't really know what's going on and why he was so upset today that he would walk off the field reportedly without shaking anyone's hand and then not do media. Um, I'm not sure what he's so upset about. It's just kind of like the reality of the situation is so clear, and yet it just doesn't really seem like he's sort of living in that reality. And it and it's going to come to a head. And I don't know what's going to happen this week and, and what's going on. But, man, just just weird vibes today from from all around in terms of the – who decides whether Baker keeps playing. Clearly, whoever is making the decision is like, Baker's going to keep going out there. I don't care what's happening. And it's just, I don't know, man. I mean, he was playing poor enough today where it was like, he's actively hurting the team, and yet he played the entire game.
1: It's several instances of that this year, and it's, it's confusing to me. Like, they don't have Tim Boyle as the backup. They have Case Keenum, who's fine. He's not great. He's not very good, but he's fine. You could have won this He'll game today. He beat the Broncos
0: on a Thursday night. Yeah, yeah, like, like he could have won this game what the quarterback game. he is.
1: I just yep. don't I just don't understand it. Like I don't the whole thing is is so bizarre. The whole thing is so bizarre to the point that like it just would have been very easy it, it, for it any of these points for Baker to be like I'm clearly not myself. People are watching this on film saying he's clearly not himself. Maybe he thinks he is, and maybe he's living in a different reality in terms of what he's thinking about how he's playing. I don't, I don't know because it's very easy and not at all a thing where I would say like Lamar didn't play because he was sick today. Like oh, I have, I have a, it's... I have a very high threshold on guys like I can't play. Like you have a torn labor, man. It, you're not winning awards for toughness out here. Like it's cool, I, I respect it. Fine, you can make that choice, but at what point are you going to say, I'm not playing like myself? I feel like I'm hurting myself mentally and physically and not helping the football team the way I traditionally do. I just don't understand why they can't, Baker can't see it too and be like, hey man. I think I probably it's best for me to go on IR and get the surgery and get this done with now so I can come back next year fully removed from it. and can show you guys I'm the dude that I know I can be. It doesn't none of this makes sense to me right now. I just don't. I was going to say get it.
0: I I was going to say, too, I think to sum it up for me, is like, when does pride turn into arrogance? You know, like when does your desire to prove to people that you can play through these injuries become just sort of an arrogant thing where you're where you're hurting the team more than more than anything else just so you can like get a point across i think that's where we're at with him um and that's where that's when it gets to a place that it doesn't need to be at you know like if there is an opportunity for you to take some time to let your body heal a little bit I'm not even saying you have to you know do the ir thing or have the surgery or whatever but just to, like you said, let the inflammation go down and so you can be a better version of yourself as a quarterback. That's what today felt like. That's why it felt like he sort of stormed off and didn't do stuff today because he's letting, it felt like he's letting, you know, oh, these fans are booing me. Look at what I've done for them. Look, I'm playing through all these injuries. Yeah, Yeah, man, you're throwing really terrible interceptions and you put the Lions in a position on that second interception where they could have gone and taken the lead, you know? So it's like, we're, that's the point where it felt like today, and that's where it becomes more than just like, oh, he's just not playing well. Now we're we're in a, we're entering a whole different stratosphere, and um, we're just gonna have to see what happens.
1: And hey, man, I know you're I know you're a big shot. I listen. I know you're upset about all of this. <laughs> I get it. You you didn't like the game. Maybe you didn't like the fans booing. Maybe somebody was yelling from the bleachers behind you on the bench, and you really got offended by that. You know, because when the yep. when they're booing, they're booing the collective offense. Like, they're not yelling "boo Baker." Like they're yelling "boo" because they can't move the football. So I don't know. Maybe somebody yelled something that offended him. I don't know. But you have to go. You're making millions of dollars. I don't care what profession it is. If somebody told me, "Hey Jake, you can make a mil- you can make millions of dollars here, man. All you got to do is play a game and then go talk to the media afterwards." Okay. Sounds like a fair trade to me. You can't not show up to media. It's the job of the quarterback to have the tough discussions. And to me, that was really red flaggy. Like That, that is really red flag raising. Like To not, to, to yes, start it with just getting your hat from the equipment guy, trading your helmet out for a hat as you're walking off the field, not saying a word to anybody, and then no showing the media requirements is a problem. I get you probably don't like some people who cover the Browns, guys. Doesn't miss me, all right? I like some more than others myself. But their job is their job. And whether you agree with how some of them do it or not, that's not my business. But the job is the job. And and, and if your response to Baker skipping that session is, well, you know, I wouldn't want to meet the media either. Have you ever talked? That's not how it works. It's not, it's not. It's not how it works. There aren't some markets where they say, hey, you can go to 60% of the media sessions because these guys are goofballs. That's not how it works. You're required to go and you go. And it's not acceptable for your professional franchise, face of the franchise level quarterback, which you want him to be, to skip that. And I just thought that is extremely an unacceptable outcome for him. Uh, the walking off the field thing doesn't really bother me all too much. It's pretty clear, some messaging you can take away from it. But the skipping the media thing, that's a problem, Jordan.
0: Yeah, man, it is. And now look, like, do a lot of those postgame pressers not really give us a ton? Sure. Um, you know, there are, like you said, there are certain media members that are better at this than others. There are there are questions that get asked that a lot of us shake our heads at. That's all well and good. Um, but the setting a sort of, like, precedent of, well, I'm upset, so I'm not going to talk today, is um, I, I've always found that lame. And it's also just like, you know, you got to, when you're not playing well, it, the questions are going to be geared towards, hey, what's going on? We've seen countless of regimes here try to, you know, imagine like if Mike Holmgren wasn't allowed, like just ducked all his press conferences and couldn't get asked tough questions about, like, hey, man, what's going on, and and all that. Like there is still a level of accountability from the media here, whether you agree with some of their members or not, but that needs to be in a season like this when. You know, people aren't playing well, and there's st- all the stuff that went on with OBJ, and like there's stuff going on, and like the public and the fans always have a right um, to, to to try and get as much information about that as possible. And so when you sort of just decide not to do it, it's um, no matter how silly some people may think post game pressers are, and how much value, you know, that's another conversation to have. But just on a base, a basic level of, hey, you you could go in there. Dude, if you didn't feel like talking, give one-word answers. Whatever, you know, like it yeah. Is you don't what have to is. come like up with Kanye
1: albums. We're not asking for yeah, that, big yeah, guy. Yeah, we're just asking for you to go I'm answer, answer some yeah. questions.
0: Yeah, you know, you're in a good mood. You're you're talking for twenty minutes and giving album titles. You're in a bad mood. You decide you don't want to talk. It's just it's it's a it's a bad look no matter how you spin it and especially after i mean i you know i need to get up nfl research has a quarterback ever skipped a media session after a win that's also the question i would love to i would love to get an answer on is baker Mayfield the first quarterback to not do media after his team that he plays quarterback for actually won a football game so just just again like i said man weird vibes all around with baker and and what's been going on and but i just think it's like it's as simple as are you playing well or are you not man like that to me is all it is like I don't think there's some bigger thing at work here I mean maybe outside of the like who's figuring out whether Baker plays or not but just in terms of like what's on the field he's not playing well and he hasn't played well all season and like this was a season with expectations that I thought were completely reasonable for this team to make a deep playoff run and they haven't got the type of play from their quarterback that that's going to allow them to do that and when that's happening, those are what the questions are going to be about, and that's what the focus is going to be on, and that's where we're at.
1: Yeah, the NFL is all about consistency. I tried to make that point after the game today on the Twitch show. Like, you know, these guys are the 1% of the 1%. They're playing in the NFL. What separates? You know, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, they all have bad games here and there. But what is your consistency, right? What is you? What are you yes. putting on the field more consistent than others? Um, or sorry for yourself, more consistency, a bad player, good play. Baker's had the Kansas city game was pretty good. And he had the cheat, the uh, Bengals game, which was pretty good. He's had two pretty good games. Otherwise it's been a level of inconsistency all year. You track it back to inconsistencies the 19 inconsistencies to start the 2020, 2020 season. And then you start to say, can you be consistently good? You know, everybody's going to have ups and downs. They're going to be ups and downs high games, great games and some duds. It's inevitable. But what is your consistency level? And that is where I think people uh, you know, people sort of miss it with with Baker. So, uh that's kind of been my overall talking point with him is the consistency stuff is not is not good enough. But not, I'm I'm really not trying to be harsh on a man. I don't, you know, there's a lot of leeway that you can get. I give him, but like, you cannot skip a media obligation. It, yeah, the world's going to keep going. Sun's going to come up tomorrow. Cool. But it's like, it's in your con, like it's, it's the NFL mandates it, man. So you can't skip that period. And it just is a bad look. And if your family members are putting things on Instagram and it's just, there's a whole bunch of turmoil going on that is unnecessary to what the ultimate goal is. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Otherwise, the only other thing that irks me is when we get on Kevin Stefanski about penalties. Like, you know, these guys aren't coaching these guys to make the penalties happen. Like, you know, Bill Callahan's not telling Wyatt Teller 15 yards down the field to, to push a DB in the back. The defensive line is not telling... The D-line coach is not... Like, his name is escaping me right now. Is not telling... It's Kiffin, isn't it? One of the Kiffin brothers? Um, yes. It, yeah. He's not telling... Jadevian Clowney to line up offside three times. I think you need to shift your blame to the players and the culture around the team. Because the coaches aren't coaching those mistakes. And you can say, well, you either coach it or accept it. Hey man, Miles Garrett typically has an offside penalty every game or every other game. I'm not pulling Miles Garrett. You know, if if the offense has a situation where, you know, the quarterback doesn't let the guy step up onto the line. And give them enough time in the cadence to do that, and it's an illegal motion. I'm probably not pulling the quarterback. You can't just pull everybody. The answer is not to make them run laps like they're seventh graders. Like, th- this is <laughs> it's just funny to me. Like, you cannot blame some of these mental mistakes. Now, if a coach doesn't get a play call in in time and you get a delay a game penalty or something like that, I get it. But, like, there are Players have to be held responsible eventually for the penalties, man. And I don't think anyone does that. It's always like, well, the Browns have a, well, that reflects coaching. Okay, go watch them. I guarantee they're not coaching these guys to make these mistakes and they're harping on it. They see the same things you do. I guarantee they're harping on those things in practice. So eventually, the players, they're not going to cut them midseason, but guys are going to wash out if they're undisciplined players. But like, I just like what you blame the head coach for is just amazing to me, man.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm with you there. I mean, I think, you know, I think in the years past too, it's been different when there has there's been penalties and there's just a coaching staff that, but you also feel like the coaching staff is just totally incompetent. So it's like, okay, it's definitely a combination of these things. I very much feel like Kevin Stefanski is still the very smart, talented individual that he was a year ago. They've, they've obviously, now has he made certain mistakes and more questionable decisions, be it play calling and all that this year? For sure. I think like, He is obviously not free of blame in any of that. But I I do think when it comes to the penalties, especially especially the offside stuff, like that stuff is insane. Like that is, like you said, like base level football of, hey, uh, look at where the ball is and don't line up on the other side of it. Like that type of stuff is 100 percent on the players. Like coaches are like if you have to think about am I offsides or not when you line up in the NFL, like that's an insane thing. So. I agree with you. I think some of the stuff that gets put on the coaching staff, like oh, these penalties, that means that Kevin Stefanski has never once uh, told Wyatt Teller not to block someone in the back, or Bill Callahan has never worked. You know, we have the the Browns might have the best offensive line coach in the entire NFL, and yet now all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well that's uh, that's definitely on coaching. So it's just like, I think we pick and choose sometimes what we where we like to place the blame. And I, I agree with you. Like, I thought there was some ticky tack calls for sure, especially that one on Blake Hans, but like. Yeah, like why tell her? Just uh, you can't block somebody in the back. Everybody knows this. If a player has his back to you, you cannot just push it. Like that is a uh, that's a day one thing right now in the NFL. They'll throw a flag every time. So like, how many times do you have to tell a guy to do that before it's just like, well, th- what else can I do? So if they, if my list of complaints with coaching right now, I think penalties is despite them being absolutely a problem. Like in terms of where I'm putting the onus on the coaches with that, it's very, very low. I think there's way bigger problems in terms of of play calling and, and third down stuff that that I would place the blame on before I go with the penalty stuff.
1: I'm with it. I'm with it. I think we're getting dangerously into people blaming and trying to to make the coaching staff be a problem. And I'm like, man, if they ah. if they hit some throws, if they do some very basic things, you don't have to have these discussions. And it's like. I guess you're gonna put your blame wherever you want to put your blame, and we all get frustrated. Trust me, we all get frustrated with this thing, but that's uh, that's 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 probably misplaced. I think they're a bunch of really smart guys, but uh, it's it's the weight of expectations. That's that's really what this is. Its its expectations are not being met by a bunch of people, and those expectations fans had. Uh, are not being met and it's it's boiling over for a lot of people so the good thing is though as much negativity as we had to discuss they did win they are six and five the AFC North is the weirdest the weirdest division it just won't <laughs> die the Ravens are
0: I if, call I, it the, uh, the the cockroaches best, the best worst division in, in football right now is Bingo. the AFC North it's great and it's terrible at the same time
1: Pittsburgh got up out of the coffin four times in the Sunday night game we just watched <laughs> somehow they found a stake to drive through their heart out in LA but you know, uh, Baltimore wins with Huntley as their quarterback. It doesn't make any sense. They they find ways. Ah. Those guys are like they're like cockroaches, man. They will never go away. The Bengals <laughs> are still, I think, an up and coming team that have a real chance to figure this out. But for the Browns' sake, they're six and five. They're not out of this thing. They have a weird AFC. They're in the thick of the whole race in the weird AFC. And they have two games with Baltimore where if you win both of those games, you would be in a great position to make the playoff. So everything is still in front of them. I am not optimistic about them figuring it out for two wins there, but everything is in front of them. And we're not going to count them out until they show us that they're completely done. As frustrating as today was, and I'm pretty positive that the lions were the only team that they were going to beat in the NFL today, but, uh, they did win
0: hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Yep.
1: They did win. And you should enjoy your Monday as best you can stay out of Twitter arguments that are unnecessary. They won't get you anywhere. And, um, you know, your Cleveland Browns are six and five, any closing thoughts, Jordan?
0: Um, only closing thought I have is they, they need this bye week <laughs> more than any team has ever needed a bye week I, the la- yeah, the last thing I'll say, last point I'll make is I was um, I was watching uh, the latest episode of Building the Browns, which I think came out after the Bengals game. Um, so there were a lot of good vibes, good feels in that before the, before the Patriots game. But something that I believe it was Paul D. Podesta said was, I thought, really um, introspective. He said, you know, last year they had the bye week right in the middle of their season, like smack dab in the middle of the NFL season. And DePodesta was talking about how useful that was to sort of use the, the term self-scout. Um, and how they haven't had the opportunity to do that this season and how having a bye this late almost feels totally pointless. Uh, I'm not saying that it, it would make a huge difference had the Browns already had their bye, especially when they were going through some of their struggles, but I do think um, it is a – after hearing Paul DePodesta sort of talk about it like that, I do think that it is um, important for them to, to have a week off and really just do a full sort of uh, – yeah inner surgery on the entire the entire team i think they really need that unfortunately they have a primetime game in in baltimore the tougher of the of the two matchups against baltimore coming before they can get to that bye but i i think that even if they even a good performance against baltimore maybe they lose that's going to be a tough place to play that's going to be a tough atmosphere on a sunday night and who knows how healthy baker is but even if they put up and, and had some decent feelings coming out of that game into the bye where they can really just take some time and break everything down on a higher level, um, I think will be really good. So I found that really interesting. Let's make it to the bye. Let's get to a good place, and then let's see what the rest of the season brings.
1: It's it's crazy to think that they've been playing every week since the start of September it's to insane. the first week of December. It's all, It really it's is something the NFL should look at because that is... That's a ton of football, man, and I and I agree with Deepa there. With like, it's almost pointless, you know. Like, it's so late yep. in the year that the, all the weeks you probably felt like you needed it are not, you know, they're long gone. And now, like by December, you're like in a groove, you know, with what you. I, it's so weird. I I it's do know terrible that,
0: timing. It's I terrible do know timing.
1: that I looked at it at the beginning of the year and I was like, "Whew, that is a late bye week.
0: That is a <laughs> that is late, a far week. off bye week." And I'm pretty sure all all other. AFC teams, AFC North teams have already had their bye. Bengals, Ravens, yeah. Steelers. I, I believe they've all already had their bye. So the Browns are the last remaining group and uh, we're almost there, Jake. We're almost there. It would,
1: uh, it would be well served for them to win or like you said, have a great showing even in a loss, because if it's a 45, seven Patriots type loss going into the bye, oh, yeah, oh boy is right. So uh, we hope they figure <laughs> it out and we'll keep you posted all week as best we can. Uh, otherwise jordan i I know everyone here uh, listeners appreciate your time man on on a late sunday night well now monday morning and uh again i appreciate it as well thanks man
0: yeah man always uh always great chatting browns with you man appreciate it
1: okay that's a wrap for today's episode check out the monday rewind show on twitch that'll be up we'll have some articles covering the game as well check all of those things out for all your obr coverage that uh Fred Greetham will be live from Cleveland as well to give you some quotes about coaches' uh, discussion points and player discussion points for media sessions. And maybe we hear from Baker Mayfield. I don't know. Didn't hear yesterday. Maybe we'll hear today. So thanks for joining us today. We'll have Chalk Talk Tuesday where we'll do our usual covering points, talking about the the three different phases between Baker, O-line, and defensive play. We'll check all that stuff out. So continue to join us. Uh, hopefully the coverage is something you're still enjoying and we appreciate Jordan's time we appreciate your time, thanks for listening all those download subscriptions mean the world to me as usual, thanks guys, have a great kick off to your week, it's a still a victory Monday, the coffee might not taste as sweet, but it is a victory Monday so enjoy it, have a great day, and go brown. <laughs>